Well, happy Sabbath again, church family. Before we get started, let's just pray one more time that the Holy Spirit will open up our minds and our hearts as we open up God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts and open up our minds. Help us to receive a word from you today and bless everyone that hears this word in this room and those online as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know that we read the verse earlier, but I would like to read it again. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but it will be on the screen. Proverbs 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It's on the screen if you're there. Say amen when you have it. Amen. We're all familiar with this, these verses, so we probably have it memorized. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Sounds very straightforward, very simple. I have knowledge of God. I get to know him. Therefore, I trust him. That's step two. Step three, I lean on him for all my understanding and my sustenance. It's not that easy, right? How many decisions do we make a day? Hundreds, if not thousands of decisions that we're making a day. And what influences those decisions, unfortunately, isn't always our knowledge of God and that trickled down into our mindset and into our actions. But a lot of times, circumstances influence. We're very reactive as human beings, right? How many times does something happen and you're like, <gasps> and you react immediately to it? Logic, what our society, what our culture, our nationality might deem as logical, political views, social media. There's a lot of things that influence our decision-making, all of those little decisions that we're making every single day. But I'm supposed to let the knowledge of God, right? The knowledge of God make me trust God so that I lean on God for all my decision-making. Because the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God is what saves us. And you might be thinking, April, that is a very radical statement. The knowledge of God saves us. Well, you don't have to take my word for it. The Bible says that in John chapter 17, John chapter 17, verse 3, John chapter 17, verse 3, and it says, and this is the way to have eternal life. Okay, so we're all paying attention because it says this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And what is this, this knowing? Is this knowing logic? Is it just head knowledge? Because what we find, and what I may find in my life, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, is that I have knowledge of God up here, but is it affecting everything that I do? Is it a part of all of my tendencies, is it bleeding out into my actions, my words, my mindset? That is knowledge of God. 
interaction, interacting relationship with God is what the Bible refers to as knowledge of God. Because you see, is to know God, is to know someone, is to trust someone, right? To know them well. I'm not going to trust people I don't know. Just ask me and I won't, right? I'm not. I'm going to trust someone that I know has proven themselves. And I will only know that if I know their history with me. So to know God is not just head knowledge. It's not just rote memorization and saying things that we know is right traditionally, faith traditionally, religiously, but it is an interactive relationship with God. And we see this really well played out in David's life. In David's story, I'm sure all of you know David's story very well, right? I could ask anybody, give me a summary of David's life, and you could probably tell me a really good summary. It's, it's easy to trust God when you have had a path laid before you, and all of these things are working towards your good. And we see that in the beginning of David's life, right? Samuel is grieving over Saul. He's grieving that God has rejected Saul and Saul hasn't been obedient. And God says to Samuel, how long are you going to cry over Saul? Go to Bethlehem. Go to Jesse. I have another king. And so Samuel goes, and we know the story. All of the sons pass before Samuel. And then David comes. And the Bible says that he has beautiful eyes. He's ruddy. He's handsome. He's energetic. And he's anointed king. And then by coincidence, right, nothing is coincidental, but by coincidence, David is called to the court to play the lyre for Saul because the spirit of God has left Saul and now is upon David. So he goes to the court and then he happens to be in the field when Goliath tells everybody his spiel that he always says. And he's a wonderful warrior, and everybody's amazed and shocked by his abilities. Seems like everything is going really well. And if my life were playing out like that, you know, I would think, I could think I could trust God, and I think I could lean not on my own understanding, and things are looking up. And then we see a shift, right? We see a shift. Saul becomes very jealous of David. The people love David. Saul's son loves David. Saul's daughter loves David. Everybody loves David. And Saul begins to feel a little insecure about himself. It's easy, right? It's easy to depend on God and lean not on your own understanding when the story plays out this way. And I'm sure when David felt that anointing on him and he was like, and he didn't have all of these major failures, he felt like, okay, all of this training to trust God is coming out, right? But when your life doesn't take turns that you thought it would take, and circumstances don't line up the way you want them to line up. See, for me as a kid, we sanitized the story of David, right? What I heard as a kid was, David is anointed king, David kills Goliath, David goes into the kingdom, yeah, a little bit of Bathsheba, a little bit of Absalom, but then David rules and he's a man after God's own heart and all of these wonderful things. But realizing that David spent a lot of his years hiding, running away, sending his family off 
to places where they'd be safe, acting like a crazy person so that he wouldn't invoke suspicion on himself. This is the grit of David's life. And we may think, okay, well, he had his mighty men with him. Lest we forget, his mighty men in the beginning were nothing but a ragtag band of complainers. They were people that felt, you know, a little against the government, probably people in foreclosure of antiquity, people that were losing their homes, people that were, you know, rebellious against the government and against everything that was going on. These were the guys that were joining David in the caves. The Bible says everybody that had a grudge, everybody that was sick of the way things were, they were like, I'm going to go join David. So you can imagine a cave filled with wonderful, gracious, and gratitude-filled individuals, right? This is David's life. This probably wasn't what he thought when he got anointed as king. That frustration of like, why is my life going like this? This is not what I signed up for. This is not the life that I thought I was going to lead. And even when he gets into his kingdom and all of the trauma of that experience catches up with him and you see and you're like, you're so frustrated when you read the story of David because you're like, man, he doesn't know how to make those tough calls when it came to Saul, when it came to Joab, when it came to his own sons. And you see that play out failure after failure. And we think about our own lives and all of the things that influence our decision-making. Are we leaning on God with our, all of our understanding and taking on his understanding and saying, you handle it? Are we wishing that we were somewhere else, anywhere else, someone else? I'm sure David had those moments where he wished, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Why am I running in the cave? Why am I hiding out? Let's just end this right now. Saul, I'm going to face you. We're going to end this. God anointed me king. Why didn't he do that? Seems like the logical response. To me, it would have been the logical response. But I'll tell you, this is what we can learn. Three things that we can learn through the story and the failures and the fallen humanity that we read when we read David's life. And number one is very, very simple. Do not let the circumstances of your life limit God, but let God shine through your life. Let God shine through the circumstances. Let God save by many or by few, right? Let your circumstances enhance your walk with God, not limit it. This is very difficult for me. I'm going to be very honest with you. If I were to look over my life, I would say, I am not where I thought I would be 10 years ago. I don't want to be here. I'm struggling in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's very difficult for me not to look at people who maybe in my age group, maybe in my life group, and they're way ahead of me, it seems, right? And I wish, man, I want to go on vacation like everybody's going on vacation. Or I want to do this. I want to have this. And I want to, why am I struggling? And why, why, God, did you allow me to live a life like this? When you promised these things, is this what you meant? Is this the path that you had for me? David, for example, he wanted to build the temple of God. Did God say, yeah, go ahead? He said, no. 
Why did he say no? He said no because David was a man of war. Because David's time was in a time of war. David's situation, his circumstances were in a time of war. And his calling was to allow God to shine through his time. Daniel's time was a time of captivity. Maybe he wished, I'm sure, I'm positive that he wished he wasn't going into captivity. But his time was in captivity. Esther's time was a time for where she was, a time of court intrigue and subtlety. That was her time. She could wish away her life and say, I don't want to be here. Why am I here for this time, such a time as this? But that is where she was. And we can all wish for Solomon's reign. We can all wish to be a Joseph or a Daniel. But some of us are called to be who we are, where we are. And so we cannot allow our circumstances to, to limit God from shining through. Our testimony is allowing God to save by many or by few wherever we are. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says it best. We must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. Did you hear that? God has yet, this is very important, God has yet to bless anyone except for where they are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. For those situations and moments are our life. I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> my house is not going to look like my neighbor's house. My life is not going to look like my friend's life. Maybe I'll have children. Maybe I won't. Even if others are blessed with it. If I don't live in the moment that I'm living in and let God shine through in my circumstances, I am limiting God and I'm limiting his testimony to you. And it's the same for all of us. And this leads me to my next point. Because life is tough, right? David's reign isn't just a reign of wonderful, lovely victories. He had a lot of victories, but there was a lot of trials. So when you feel like circumstances are overwhelming and weighing you down, and, 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 and this is like, Lord, I understand that you can save by many or by few, and I understand that I'm supposed to live faithful in the moment and in the circumstances you have me in, regardless of whether everything has just collapsed financially, my retirement is, where is it? <laughs> and all of my friends are traveling around the world and I'm stuck here, right? Number two, tell God how you feel. Don't hold back. Don't, don't hold back. Tell the Lord what is on your mind. Put language to your emotions and to your circumstances. Put language to your feelings with God. Say it to him and listen back. Listen back. I cannot stress this enough. Tell the Lord how you feel. Think of some of the examples where people told the Lord how they felt. 
Elijah, wonderful example. Elijah said, oh, Lord, <laughs> I just want to die, right? You called me here. I did the thing. And now all of this is happening. This is when it was, this is, you know, I was at the brook. I did that. I did this. I followed. And now look at me. I'm all alone. Just let me die. Just let me die. We have that on record. And then what do we have back? God's response. Would we have God's response if we didn't have Elijah crying out to God? Job. Job cried out to God and said, Lord, just let me die. Let me die. I can't do this anymore. And we have this wonderful response from God filled with, were you there? Were you there when I carved out the world? Were you there in the ocean when I made Leviathan and all of these things? Would we have God's response if we didn't have Job put language to his emotions and his experience and his circumstances? We wouldn't have God's response. You telling God, crying out to God and telling him how you feel allows God, gives God the opportunity to respond to you. And it's very dangerous, very, very dangerous to hold those emotions inside. It's not good for you. It's not good for anybody, actually. Tell God how you feel. And I know what you're probably thinking, because maybe, maybe, I, I can't say what you're thinking. But what I was thinking is, if I talk about how I feel, I'm giving those emotions power. And that's not true. The way Brene Brown says it in her book, Atlas of the Heart, is great. She says, language shows us that naming an experience doesn't give the experience more power. This is what I thought. But it gives us the power of understanding and meaning. Naming your experience, saying this is how I'm feeling right now, helps you to look at it and say, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm feeling right now. Remember what Philippians tells us? Remember the verse in Philippians that says, do not be anxious about anything. So when the circumstances come on our life and we're faced with tough decisions, do not be anxious about anything, but in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. This part is very important, right? This is what we're talking about. What does the next part say? Let your requests be what? Be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. Tell God how you feel. What happens when you tell God how you feel? What happens when you express to God, this is what I'm going through. I'm naming the emotions I'm going through. It says, and following, following you laying your request before God and the peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding. Logic can be included in this will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, oh, amen. Why is it dangerous to not do this? Well, a good juxtaposition to David's experience. We all know that David cried out a lot to God, right? We see exactly what he was going through stage by stage because he let us know by crying out to God, Saul, Saul is an amazing example of someone who kept it all inside, but used very religious language to mask their non-dependency on God, right? Give me, I'll give you an example. Saul, when the Philistines were coming to attack, right? 
And he was waiting on Samuel to show up to offer the sacrifice. And the people of God, people of Israel started to leave. And uh, this would have been the perfect moment to say, um, okay, Philistines on my left and uh, people are leaving. Samuel's not here. God, what do I do? God, I'm very frustrated right now. But we don't see that. What we see is him saying, okay, I'm king. I guess I can offer the sacrifice, right? That's the logical thing to do. If I didn't know the biblical narrative, I would have thought that would have been the logical thing. You're the king. The king is kind of like the priest for all the people, right? He's supposed to be a religious leader. He's supposed to be following God. But that's not what he was supposed to do. So he offers up the sacrifice. And he even greets Samuel religiously. Welcome. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just doing the will of the Lord here. And Samuel is like, no, you're not. But we see this language Saul uses. Even when he's hunting down David, he says, the Lord has delivered David into my hands. But we know that's not true. Saul kept all of these emotions inside. He didn't tell God how he felt. We never, in fact, see Saul crying out to God and asking God and giving his supplications and his prayer requests and saying anything to God. We don't see that. And that's, that's what I mean. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. The Almighty can handle your problems, right? He can handle what you're throwing at Him. Don't let the scenery of your life make its way out. Don't let the circumstances of your life make its way out. Don't keep God cognitively, but don't, and not let it impact everything else. We must tell God how we feel. And this, I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Happy Sabbath.